Radio TFS, episode number 63. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. Hey, well, ben. Greg, we've got a special show for you today. We've got Ben Day in to yeah. speak to us. Interview so show. Let me... I love exactly. interview shows. This is good. This is by popular request. <laughs> we, we thought we'd, we'd drag Ben Day on the phone. So uh, why don't I introduce him and we'll get started. So uh, Ben, Ben Day is a consultant and trainer specializing in software best practices using Microsoft tools. His main areas of interest include uh, Team Foundation Server, obviously, hence being <laughs> on the right show, Scrum, software testing, and software architecture. He's one of the uh, many excellent uh, Microsoft Visual Studio ALM MVPs. You know, he's, he's, he's one of the only ones we have on the show right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't rub that in or anything, Martin. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. He's also a certified Scrum trainer via Scrum.org and a regular speaker at um, TechEd and VS Live and that sort of thing. When not developing software, Ben's been known to go running, sea kayaking, in order to balance out his love of cheese, cured meats, and champagne. I also happen to know he's an excellent uh, self-taught pianist, by the way, so I don't know if that was relevant. Uh, there you go. And he can be contacted at benday.com. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Not too bad. Good to talk to you. Good to have you on the show. We can finally, we'll be able to call you a friend of the show now, hopefully, if this goes okay. <laughs> oh, finally. Like, it's been the one last award that I'm looking for, and after this, I can I can rest <laughs> easy for the rest of my life. <laughs> that Indeed. bucket list is done. Woo-hoo! Yes. Check and mate. <laughs> So, Greg, you've been a you've um, often uh, blogged a few of the posts, and we've talked about Ben's posts quite often in the past. What, have you got any burning questions you wanna you wanna talk to Ben about? Well, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to him about, and this is a subject that he actually brought up, is that you know, a, a, in a previous life or two ago, um, before there was a Scrum project template in the box, uh, one of the Commonly used Scrum templates was the Conchango, 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 uh, a template. You say Conchango, I say Conchango. There yeah. we go. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, but that, you know, it went through a number of iterations, and it was with. It's currently on V3, and V3 it went on a really weird, in, in my opinion, uh, uh, an interesting tangent. It, it seemed to get complicated. Um, and I haven't heard much about it for, gosh, a couple of years now. So, Ben, have you ever – have you, you've used this template before, right? Um, yeah, kind of, sort of. And I, have you moved – have you found that people are moving off of it to the Scrum template that's in the box? Are they moving to it? Are they moving to Agile? And, and what is that move process like? Yeah, actually, um, so I just finished off an enormous migration. So um, one of those big, gigantic, globally famous accounting firms hired me to help them with upgrading um, their Conchango projects that were all on their TFS 08 server and bring it up to TFS um, 2012.2 and then bring that up to the -the out-of-the-box Scrum template. And it was uh, was a lot of work. So you did like an in-place upgrade or? Um, Well, so... You know, you had it, it was especially difficult actually because it's you know the the hardware requirements and the software requirements between TFS 08 and TFS 2010 you know go 32 bit into 64 bit. So we had to tackle all the upgrade stuff that you would have done with 08 to 10, and then also do the 2012 stuff all at the same time while migrating away from the Conchango templates that really didn't work so hot anymore. Um, right. So we did an in-place upgrade, and um, that brought everything forward, at least as far as TFS went, but then broke Conchango's features. <laughs> but they didn't want to be on Conchango anyway because they liked all the stuff that came out of the box with Scrum from Microsoft. So um, I ended up writing a tool that would 
convert about a hundred of their Conchango projects to out of the box Scrum. Um, wow. Yeah, it was it was intense. Yeah. So what's so it's probably worth recapping, like the Conchango template was a massive customization of the TFS process template and, and added a bunch of features on top of like out the box uh, process template stuff. Worth recapping some of those things for the listeners that aren't familiar with Conchango that, that, pe- that they did in that process template that then has made it hard to upgrade, you know, going forwards and, ke- and keep up to date as the server's been, you know, improving. Well, one of my favorite features of the Conchango template is when you install it, you get a picture of Ken Schwaber smiling at you. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, Ken's a friend of mine and, you know, I just don't get to see his, his face often enough. Um, so installing that template was right there. That's your win. Fabulous. Yeah. Anything else in terms of automation and things like that? No, that's it. Ken that's, was Ken that's, that's it. That's so, it. Yeah. So my number one feature request, I think, for the next version of Scrum, you know, we'll maybe talk to Aaron Bjork or something, is just to get a picture of Ken Schwaber inside the TFS. <laughs> uh, We're not allowed to embed Easter eggs anymore. That's the problem. It's in this whole security thing. Oh, really? It's really... Yeah, I know. Otherwise, otherwise, I would just for you stick it in as an Easter egg. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be kind of great. Like a maybe in you know TE or something, we'll just have like an Easter egg that just serves up his picture. Yeah, hey, I tell you what, we could do though. How about this? How about I give you this in um, one of the? Um, actually, no, I better not because he might assume. Yeah, you're going to get fired. I would say don't. Suggest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, what we could do is in one of the screenshots of one of the blog posts somewhere. Let's have a chat to Ken and see if we can use him as like an example user in, in a screenshot. How about that? That, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. No, but the, the Conchango stuff, because it used to do stuff like, um, didn't they, they, they have like roll-up uh, tasks or they would create sort of PBI, they would create stuff when you do a PBI and wasn't there a lot of magic things that would happen? They had a process which listened to the work items being created as well as a, the actual customized template itself, didn't they? Or yeah, not? there was some stuff in there that I believe would update the global list to create teams and um, wow. And then there was also some auto-close features on product backlog items. So if you got a product backlog item and it has a number of um, child uh, sprint backlog items, if you close all the SBIs, then the PBI gets automatically closed by a service in the background. Um, so, that, you know, that was kind of cool. Uh, it had some some neat stuff in it. And it's, and you know, as an, an achievement for engineering and customization, you're, you're right on. Like, it's, it's pretty massive. And they did some stuff in there. You know, if you think about what TFS was like for a long time, we didn't have directional links. You, you just had peer links. Um, and they managed to make some serious magic happen without having child type links wow yep yep and they also had the um they had like a early uh task board didn't they that that used uh, the conchango process template but they had like a, a rich sort of task board that would point to it and things like that yeah maybe i actually i i haven't used it a whole lot in production um yeah i, yeah, they, I was they one of those still th- part of emc i think they actually had yeah. that and it was uh for a fee you know the Conchango template for tfs was free but that task board was uh you know like a commercial thing that you could buy and eventually they open sourced it uh, uh emc let it go um and the Conchango template is on codeplex now including that task board and they renamed it I think we've mentioned this before in one of the past shows. It's like the TFS task board. I should look that up real quick. But uh. yeah, I had a link to the template in the show notes. But the the so why did they um, why did they pick the Conchango template 
initially, do you think? And then why did they decide that with the upgrade to 2012 was a time to move to the out-of-the-box Scrum template? Yeah, so I'm not really sure how they picked it in the first place. And I, I guess I should, just in the interest of full disclosure, say that for years and years and years, well, I might think that the Conchango template looked pretty cool. I was recommending to all my customers pretty much since the very beginning, don't adopt the Conchango template because one of these days you're going to get stuck um, where it's not supported or some kind of change has happened from Microsoft that makes it hard to upgrade or you just decide you like the out-of-the-box features um, that come from, from Microsoft and TFS and then you end up getting stuck. And mm-hmm. in this particular case, their decision to get off of it is that they really liked the boards um, that came with TFS 2012 and the team management, all that kind of stuff. And it was just getting in the way. And then also, you know, the sort of the dubious support for Conchango going forward, they needed to do something to get away from it so that they were fully supported. And Scrum was the one they picked over Agile, wasn't it? Yep, because um, they're also in the process of doing a um, very large um, Scrum rollout. So actually, as part of this engagement with this um, with this customer, I ended up training about 200 developers across three cities um, on how to do Scrum. So ran the Professional Scrum Foundations class from Scrum.org for 200 people. Um, so it, it was all it was all part of a very large like let's get going with Scrum, let's get Agile. Um, at this company. And Martin, you know, just from my seat, because we were, we did the same thing. We picked it. We were looking at, we were TFS 2008. We were, we wanted to do agile stuff. Um, we didn't really like the, the baked in agile when we wanted to do scrum. And that was, you know, there was a number of scrum uh, project templates, but that was, a, there was no in the box version of the scrum template. So, you know, we've had to pick the one that looks bestest for us so you know people and how easy is it to to actually like you know we have the out of the box template which is like microsoft scrum template version whatever it is 90 million whatever it is right now <laughs> and then you have how easy is it to like use that for a real scrum team and is it easy to use uncustomized because obviously out in the service you can't actually customize this process template you know does it does it fit a team that's running scrum as trained the official scrum.org way well yeah actually it does pretty well um there's there's some stuff you know let's uh, you know scrum.org and the scrum guide and there's like certain um orthodox scrum approach that a lot of people will evangelize um, where there are certain things you're not supposed to do. And one of them is like pre-assigned tasks. And so all the capacity planning stuff that's, that's on the right-hand panel when you're doing sprint planning, probably not like robes and sandals scrum compliant, but uh, it's, it's awesome to watch my customer go and use these tools. Like, so you know, I trained them and I got TFS 2012 rolled out and we, you know, passed a sort of um, quality testing release internally for them. And then I went to visit them a few weeks ago and, you know, they'd been loose on the product for about six weeks or so. And it was amazing. It was so heartening and it kind of renewed my will to live um, to watch the customer actually go. And there's just team after team after team after team after team and they're using it well and they're happy and they know what's going on and, you know, they're doing some little customizations or some some things that are a little hard for them. But um, all in all, the uncustomized stuff is working great for them. And are they cool. are they doing Scrum or Scrum Butt? Oh, I think they're doing Scrum. They're good. Close enough. Close enough for Jazz. Right, right. Hey, so, like, expl- is it worth explaining 
why um so how you actually like how the upgrade works i mean obviously you wrote your fancy tool and if there are any links to anything about the fancy tool or if it's if it shows that's fine just link to benday.com but um is is how does it work you know what what does it actually do does it copy does it do an upgrade of the process does it create a new one and copy work items over you know what what's the what's the process look like when it as it does the upgrade well the goal was to have them be as close as possible to the out of the box scrum template um, at the end so there was a little bit of stuff that you had to worry about like um, they'd done some field customization in the Kinchango template you know not a ton but a little bit so you had to preserve that data and bring it forward um, and then there was the data that was in the old scrum work item types excuse me in the old Kinchango work item types and you had to move that over into the new fields and any of the fields that didn't have a good home in the Microsoft scrum version you had to give them some way to to view it so um the, the rough overview of the process was that I'd exported all the WITDs from the Kinchango version of the, the template for every single project we needed to upgrade. And there was about 100 of them. And then my tool would go through and create an intermediate upgrade step. So we had the original backup just in case we had to roll back. We created an intermediate upgrade version for all the work on type definitions. And then we had a final version. So the, the intermediate upgrade one was super, super permissive about what state transitions you could do because we had to go from old states into new states. And then you also had to relax some rules like close dates and um, suggested values, turning required value fields into suggested value fields um, because there's a lot of old data in there. You, you got to figure there's like five years worth of data that had to get upgraded. Um, and then, so once we upgraded the the transitional modified form of the work on type definition, upgraded a bunch of different things by just like going through and copying values for, you know, hundreds of thousands of work item type definitions, changing the state, copying values over, um, adjusting what the work item type form looked like. So I added an archive tab so that any of the old sort of old fields that were customized or were going to retire or or whatever, but we still want to look at, they'd be still on a tab and you could still access them and look at them. Um, and then there was some other stuff to enable the boards like upgrading link types and adding agile process configuration stuff and um, work item queries and and then the SSRS reports. So there's a, lot, a fair number of steps. So th- let me get this right then. So you actually did a a proper take the entire database, run it through the upgrade, like the TFS upgrade. So it was the actual same data, the same database, which had run through the TFS upgrade, and then run a script which, via a two-step process, takes that same team project and does all the work item template customizations to actually take the old template and slowly morph it into the, the something very closely resembling the out-the-box Scrum template? Yeah. At the end, it if you wow. looked at it, apart from that archive tab on a lot of the work items, um, you wouldn't be able to tell a difference. You see, that's what everybody wants to do, and that's almost never what I recommend people do because it's so freaking hard. <laughs> uh, well, this one <laughs> scaled. Like, if it was just... If, if I were working with a customer that had one or two team projects, you'd look at that and you'd be like, ah, whatever, we'll just copy it by hand. But when you're looking at this, I mean, this... TFS server had about 200 team projects total and a hundred of them were on Kinchango and the other hundred were on their own, you know, their own process template they created. And if you're looking, if you're staring at a hundred of those Kinchango projects, you're like, this is going to take me forever to upgrade it by hand. And it starts to scale at some point to write a tool to actually go and do it. 
Wow, that's awesome you did that. That's an amazing amount of work. It was it was really fun. Like all the I don't know, I think the the three of us on this this uh podcast here have all wished that people would pay us to do really huge uh, API level customization gigs for TFS. <laughs> and this was, I see it's actually my full-time job. That's now, your but... full-time job. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it, it was nice to have someone actually pay me for this stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. So yeah. So you, you, wow. You're doing all the API work. You're doing lots of driving of, um, now when you were doing the work item process template customizations, did you do it by having an intermediate process that you pushed up and then ran a bunch of, API calls to do the a bunch of work item query updates or well how's it work? I'm fascinated. Now. It, it actually just to make it a little bit harder, you couldn't predict yeah. which team projects had been customized and which hand. So some, yeah, that's why we don't do this stuff for you out of the box <laughs> exactly. because it's impossible yeah. to tell. Yeah, so um, some of the projects had customized their um, state workflow, so that was haunt, really hard, and then others had added some uh, fields and removed some fields and others had different rules for stuff. So I had to, I had to write logic that would know what to potentially look for and how to all sort of funnel it down. Um, so it got pretty smart. Um, and if you look at the, I, I have a, a config file that, that takes all of the source work item type states and maps them into the final version ones. And man, that, <laughs> that XML file is a little bit long. Um, not to mention the fact that that was just figuring out what states to map from and to was just pretty close to impossible because yeah. getting consensus at the customer was hard because they're like, well, yeah, but what does this mean in here? And how do we make, make our, how do we make our day to day human automation process map into Microsoft Scrum when we'd been doing Conchango Scrum for so long, and you know how do we let QA people know that it's time to test stuff, and how do we track what's been tested, and yada yada yada. It was a, you know, there's a lot of like actually human automation work that had to go in before you could even write the tool. And that's what people often forget about the, you know, the the process template, like a, a process template change or process template upgrade, is that it's not. It's not at all really about the data, though that is very, very important, very, very hard to move across. It's actually you are changing the process. So trying to do that without process reengineering or, or, or help in advising how the new process should run is actually you know, is actually really hard and, and, and just running a magic wizard to do the upgrade is, is a lot you know, it is only half the story really. Well, I mean it's that you know, like for most of the stuff in software development it feels like it always feels like there's some gigantic looming technical problem, but really when you get down to it, you figure out that the technical problem is only about 5% and the rest is, you know, the other 95% is some sort of a, a people thing. And yep. so about people. Um, and actually that's, you know, I've been working with TFS since probably 2004 or something by now. Um, and one of the things that I'm always struck by is that, a lot of customers make the mistake of thinking it, that customizing their process template is going to solve all their human problems. And really, <laughs> the vast majority of my customers, uh, you know, you don't need to customize TFS very much most of the time. Yeah. And it's really just a matter of getting everyone to get some consensus around how they're going to think about their work. And like, I don't know about you guys, but the number one question that I lead with when I go into a, co a coaching or consulting engagement is I ask, what's a release? And then you know, just sort of let them go. Because, you know, once you start talking about the release, that, that gets into your branching emerging strategy, that gets into your automated build strategy, your QA strategy. And like that, 
I don't know. I, I feel like I went into a, a bit of a rat hole on that. But anyway, back to Kinchango. Well, rather than Kinchango, Greg, do you want to do an that ad? Sounds like, sounds like a plan. It's about that time of the show. Episode 63 of Radio TFS is brought to you by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS ALM consulting. You can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com. That's www.sasmadeeasy.com or via email at sales at sasmadeeasy.com. And now back to the show. Cool. Thank you. So uh, I get that upgrading a process template, especially one that's quite different to another one that's different, is hard as part of the upgrade. But how how is the upgrade process? In, I mean, I think you've done quite a few upgrades, haven't you, from TFS 2010 to TFS 2012 and earlier versions to 2012. What's the – how is that upgrade process? You know, how does that Well, work? the 10 to 12 upgrade is generally – pretty fine like the 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 tooling for upgrading your like if you go into the the boards for the first time it says you need to upgrade your team project and you click a button and you know nine times out of ten it it works magic unless it's a kinchango project the the hardest thing that i ran into actually was um what i was very surprised about is that when you're doing the adding of the ssrs reports it seems really single threaded so the rest of the tool you know, for upgrading the Kinchango stuff, I had it configurable so you could run, you know, about four or six um, simultaneous upgrades, you know, taking advantage of the multiprocessor server. Wow, I, I hate to think what's that doing to my day. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. the, the template stuff is the work items. Every time you're adding fields, you're adding columns to that table. You know, you're doing, you're doing a table column add, which is not well, trivial. Well, the first thing anyway, that I do on. is actually a step that sets up all the... Uh, all field definitions. New columns. So that happens yeah, one time for all hundred projects. That makes sense. Cool. Okay. I'm but the uh, the thing that was that failed a lot was you know the tfpt add project reports command. You know that sets up that installs all your SSRS reports on a on a server that either doesn't have the SSRS reports or needs to get them upgraded. And uh, nothing says that that's supposed to be single threaded, but it sure doesn't work if you try to run more than one at a time. Um, you get all kinds of weird locking errors that come out of SSRS. Um, so that was the mm. that was the, the by far the weirdest thing that I found out. Mm. Wow. So Ben, what do you think about the new shiny stuff? Have you been playing with looking at uh, Visual Studio TFS twenty thirteen? Yeah. Um, the the one that uh, just blew my mind recently um, was the the ability to go into the test hub on the website and then run. Um, run a test plan using basically the MTM bits on the local machine. So you get that, you know, rich recording experience and automation experience and bug capture experience. Um, Cause I'd had kind of a, I've been sort of confused to see where Microsoft was going on the, the whole QA testing side. Um, you know, as they're putting more and more stuff into the test hub on, on the website, I'm like, well, what's going to happen to all that good richness that's in MTM? And then when I saw that feature, I was like, oh, that's the answer. That was, it blew my mind. Coolest thing I'd seen in weeks. URL protocol handlers are a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. If only it was easier to tell in a browser if that URL protocol handler was installed or not. That's a nightmare, believe it or not. Because the, um, the the browsers, like, it's a security feature that they don't advertise if a protocol handler is there. And so what, we, what I would really like is for UI to exist that, you know, has the run with MTM button if you have MTM installed, but that button doesn't point to the URL protocol handler if you press it and it's not installed it instead. 
goes to a site that helps you get it or you know or, or something like that or maybe even doesn't display the button if you're on an operator if i'm on the mac there's no point giving me the running mtm button because um because i can't run it in mtm on the mac <laughs> but you know like but i can use the web testing very effectively which is what we actually do so here's a feature request so if we're running if we're <laughs> okay. running it on a mac detective parallels is installed run a windows 8 image by default deploy into that automatically and then then start mtm instead of a vm that should be doable right sure i put it on the back <laughs> just very low down that's a don't hold your breath level of priority <laughs> so have you done any, up- what, what, any upgrades to 2013 oh i've done live now isn't it it's got go live license right. on it but it's still in preview yet. well i i have a handful of customers that are sort of uh putting it on the radar but so far no one's paid me to do that um i've played around a little bit with upgrading my um my demo presentation tfs's and yeah it seemed to go okay um one of the big things that I'm looking forward to is playing with the portfolio management stuff and then especially seeing how that's going to play against the um, Microsoft Project Server integration. Um, so one of the things that I talk about a lot in conferences is how do you combine, how do you combine a waterfall-based approach in a Scrum team? Um, basically, how do you meet, make those two to work together? And uh, with all that portfolio management stuff that's coming out of the box from from Microsoft, that's going to be interesting to find out how it works. What do you think is going to be the like one or two headline features that will make somebody want to upgrade from TFS twenty twelve to TFS twenty thirteen? Oh, the the number one thing is going to be um, you know having a, a multiple level backlog like all the the epic and the feature stuff. I'm actually not sure what the official name for that that's called. It's the the Greg Bohr features. Um, uh. And uh, yeah, agile planning. Yeah, there you go. Internally. I think that's going to be the win. Like I've shown that to some customers, and they're like, "Oh, that's exactly what we want." Um, and I think the other stuff is the. I don't know. I'm biased. I think this is just the coolest thing I've ever seen, and it, it's that that M- run MTM from from the website. Like that's that stuff is cool. Really, that's cool. Yeah. That's amazing that that's like a killer feature that's for you because that was one of those ones that like gets slips in. You yeah, know, that was the best thing ever. Um, the the bizarre thing actually on that particular one, the um, Euro protocol handler has existed for ages to invoke MTM. That's like not one of the new ones. There are newer ones in Visual Studio 2013, and that's not one of them. But there, yeah, and we just never really used it well, much. I so. wasn't aware that that it was really two exes. Like there's the from if I understand it properly, there's the MTM exe, and then there's the test runner exe, mm-hmm. and they've been separated for years, and I didn't realize that. So. I don't know. I, yeah, blew my mind. And the, well, the original reason it was separated because we were trying to get the test runner thing to be able to run on a USB stick um, and stuff like that. Oh. So yeah, there you go. And then the you, there's actually a few X's because the URL protocol handler that runs like is a bit of code that runs and then decides which XE to call and what command line parameters to pass over to it and all sorts of stuff. Mm. So. Yeah. It's good. I think we hopefully document some of this stuff a bit more <laughs> strongly once we ship as well, because currently they're kind of hidden, you know. Pro- but you could do a lot of stuff. Like you could send, um, just you know, in your integrations you do on top of TFS, you can basically call that protocol handler as well and make it invoke Visual Studio or make it invoke MTM and make it do some stuff. So that sounds an open in the right that, place. That sounds yeah. like some serious mischief uh, that could be done right there. Yeah, exactly. That this is also one of the reasons why browsers don't advertise URL protocol handlers because it helps finding security vulnerabilities a heck of a lot. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm I'm sure it's perfectly <laughs> uh-huh. secure and no no. Oh, and we do a lot of testing happen. around it. 
But it's, it's it's definitely one of those things when we add them. It's one of those things that we add into our threat model. You know, is to is to like how can this be abused? Because it's quite you know because that's one of the you know once you get onto the web, you're in the big bad world. So um, you have to worry about that stuff a lot. Oh, yeah. So one of things um with me and Greg have been talking about quite a bit is around you know every time we do a show, apart from these interview shows, we basically spend the first fifty minutes of the show updating the audience on what's changed since the last show. And, you know, we don't do shows as often as everybody like, but we do at least one a month. So what do you think to this uh, this new cadence that we're, you know, with all the updates we've had, with 2013 falling hot on the hill, on the hot on the hills from 2012, from the 2012 update three landing like basically the same week as 2013 preview and th- things like that. How, how's that going down with you and how's that going down with your customers? Uh, well, it's killing me. I <laughs> um, and I'll add another wrinkle to it, like as an MVP, who has an NDA with Microsoft and I kind of know secret stuff, it's really hard for me to talk to my customers because I can't keep straight what's actually been officially announced versus what I know because of some private meeting that I've had. Um, and then keeping track of what is in each quarter, what what is in each quarterly update is its own little little. Uh, problem. So what's kind of funny is that I'm generally relying on people in the community who are not MVPs and not Microsoft employees to let me know what's up. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm feeling dumber than ever. <laughs> it's actually one of the reasons I do this show with Greg. That's probably why you haven't been made an MVP. Yeah. Cause it's actually really, it's, it's, I love doing this show, not only just cause you get to talk to you know smart people, which is great. And we have, we have smart people listening to us, which is even better, but it just reminds me of all this stuff that's coming out. And it's also a great reminder to me of like, Oh yeah, great. That's actually shit publicly. Now we could, yeah, you've got the same Greg's, problem. Like, you Greg's know, probably a hundred times more secret stuff than I do. And, uh, you just don't know what to say in public. Try writing a book about TFS when you're already working on the next version. That 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 was fun. First world problems. Yeah, yeah exactly. How hard it is. It's hard for us, Greg. You see, you have it easy not yeah, being an MVP. Okay, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so, but I've been. Do you, I mean, do you wish we were back to the three-year cycles? Or I mean, is this this cadence a bad thing uh, in general? Or is it uh, at least it gives you the choice to make the upgrades? I, I mean, do you like this new faster Microsoft? I I think it's better that we release stuff sooner. Um, and actually, with this Conchango upgrade I did, there was we were initially targeting. Uh, out of the box TFS 2012, and there was actually a bug in the upgrade process. Not my upgrade process. The you know the actual upgrade installer from from TFS 2012 that would do some really weird stuff with um, SSRS um, if it didn't recognize the the process template. Um, and when we decided, oh, okay, let's just jump right to dot two, the bug was fixed. So that was really nice, actually. Yeah, it's been a few times where I've had um, confusing email threads with a customer because they're reporting an issue. I'm like, we fixed that. We fixed that ages yeah. ago. Did we not ship that? And then, uh, and then, um, you know, which version are you running? I'm running 2012. Like, oh, we fixed this. Is this in? Is this in V next? I can't, I can't remember. And then you know, I go find the bug, you know, find the fix, and go, oh no, that's in update two, or that was a fix <laughs> in update three. You just need to go into Eclipse or go into Visual Studio and upgrade, and you'll be golden, you know, and it's all done there. Uh, actually, that reminds me of a, a completely unrelated to TFS story. Um, well, minimally related to TFS. I was doing a project for another company and I was working as sort of their architect coachy guy. And 
as part of this project, I was responsible for writing large portions of the code base. And I went away for a couple months and then came back and there was this bug that had been reported. I'm looking at this bug and I'm like, I, I wrote this code. I know for a fact that there's a unit test that I wrote that covers this exact case. And I'm like, how is this possible? And I went in and I found the unit test and I opened it up and the entire body of the unit test had been commented out. So, <laughs> so, I'm like, well, that explains it. Um, and then the thing that was really fun, and this is where TFS comes in, is you, you know, do TF annotate and you find yeah. out exactly who commented out that code and then go ad- administer a, a talking to. <laughs> yeah, I actually I remember being called back once. It was an insurance company we did where we, I left. It was all TDD. It all been built TDD, and uh, we we built actually a, a harness so that the business could write rules into an Excel spreadsheet, and then um, you know, and and they expect the they could write the conditions in, and then get and their expected result in an Excel spreadsheet, and we would we would parse that data as part of the unit test run and make sure that we got the expected results every time mm-hmm. that you know we put we, data in data out and but made it really drop dead simple for the business when they were coming along with a new rule to, to give us something you know give us the the examples of data in data out a bit, a bit like um you know domain driven right. testing or whatever but you know it was very a very specific example and um so we did that, and I remember chatting to the guys like who had left when I moved on to a different. Well, when I started working on T Prize, I was having lunch with the guys left on the team, and they were saying one of the problems we're having is that the is you know tests keep failing, and I was like, oh wow, did we write tests wrong? And like, oh no no no, we just find that the people the business defines the rules wrong, and they like they'll, they'll define contradictory rules. <laughs> And uh, and the te- and the tests fail immediately, and we end up having a big long like argument, and then the business realised that oh yeah, this is actually yeah. It, it's sort of like the business wants seven equal to twenty. Like yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, but I, I know that seven is only equal to seven, but today I want it to be equal to twenty. That's that's nice. I, yeah. I quit. I work at Starbucks now. Oh. <laughs> Or it's, you know, the, the, like one side of the business defines one set of conditions that always must end up in a policy being refused issued or something. And then the other side of the business writes, you know, a discount system so that we can sell more of that exact same type of condition that come in. So oh. it's by by defining, but by thinking about the tests and thinking about the the conditions, that's a really good way of identifying those boundary cases. Which, yeah, you know, actually, it's... I worked for a, a federal government agency and we ran into a similar situation where the agencies internally, there were three different constituencies that all had a different interpretation of what Congress's mandate to the agency was supposed to be and when they were supposed to do X and Y and certify Z. And it was amazing that all three constituencies had completely contradictory um, interpretations of what their mandate was. And it was funny because you know, where we we're talking before about everything being 95% a people problem, it was funny that yeah. it, it, it resolved down to the technical team to actually resolve what the congressional mandate really meant. <laughs> it's like, that's really not my sure. job, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you think we have lawyers yeah. to do that, surely. You know, it's right better lawyers. Been there, done that, not quite in that circumstance, but yeah, you know, you're in there and you're trying to come up, hey, you know, client X, client Y, I, I, I need a rule. It's like, well, we don't know. It's like, okay, well, here's what the rule is going to be. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and it's funny how that becomes – this is what – that's one of the things I love about computer programming is it's funny how that then becomes the rule and that then becomes the universe as the users see yeah. it. And it's just something you made up one day while staring <laughs> at a whiteboard. <laughs> 
and this is the rule now. I, I, we, we have, we've had like we get user feedback sometimes, and you know we get like even uh, you know people writing into the show and stuff asking like, hey, why is why doesn't this feature work like this, or you know why is this why is this not there? And it's like because. It's not how we wrote it. You know, it's a really hard question to answer. It's like, that's just because we didn't write it like that. I agree. Your way makes sense. It's just not how it's written. And sorry, you know, or, or why is this feature missing? Because we didn't write it. We'd really love to write it. We just ran out of time. And, uh, but it's hard to, you know, it, it, there's no logic behind it. It's like, hey, we, we were making, we're making this stuff up all the time. It's just software. If we don't like it, we'll go change it again. And that's one of the problems you've got to bear in mind when you change the matrix under somebody is like how disorientating that can be for people. If you change the word you call something or if you, um, if you move some dialogue, and that that's really disorientating to people. Mm. So, anyway. Yeah, it's a tough problem. Um, we're probably getting, yeah, yeah, we get yeah, tough first world problems again. We're probably getting about towards the end of the show. I don't. Is there any? Um, if people are wanting to upgrade to the latest and greatest bits, then do you? Is there any advice you would give them in terms of what sort of order they should tackle it? Should they go for the server first, or the client, or build agents, or mm. you know, look at process templates, or what sort of order should people tackle things? when they're looking at coming to upgrade to the latest and greatest bits? I don't know. It feels like the, the only way that I would really consider doing it, and I, 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 I feel like I'm going to regret what I'm about ready to say, um, is you start with TFS itself, and then you do the build servers, and then you do the client. Um, it's, I don't know. Is there another way you'd tackle that? No, that's the way I recommend it. People seem to think they need to upgrade the clients first. Yeah, but that's a pain um, in the butt because then you have to install forward exactly. compatibility updates and it's just a nightmare. Plus, nobody who's on the newer client gets to take advantage of any of the new features until everybody's on the new right, client. Just, Whereas if you're using the server first. Yeah, exactly. And the server's being more and more backwardsly compatible than it ever was. That's the advantage of having this service out there is that we can't like tell everybody running on the service, hey, uh, you know, all whatever, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, whatever, you need to run forward update compatibility GDR hotfix KB976329 before you can connect and do your work today. Yeah. That, that's not exactly a way of popularly running an online it's, service. So we have to, we end up supporting all these backwards, you know, all these older versions, which is great because it just helps the upgrade problem. You know, it helps people get onto the latest. Which just latest. must make the testing matrix insane. Yeah, which is why we have to eventually stop supporting older versions, but um, purely for testing, you know. So, uh, yeah. I mean, how the upgrade works, this is total aside, which probably, but how the upgrade works is actually interesting as well because the upgrade, when it's, it's doing rolling upgrades out on the service, you can't just do an upgrade and switch everybody off and switch everybody back on again. And so every every bit of code has to be able to talk to the the new current version of the SQL schema and version minus one of the SQL schema, Whoa. because because the code the code gets upgraded at you know at a different time to the data underneath it, <laughs> and so it's like so does you know because we have, that... yeah, we have to go in one big go and then upgrade the tables of people's accounts when they're not being used and things. Yeah. So if you've got a customer who has a a really active TF service account, what happens? Well, it still gets upgraded, but when the upgrade runs it, they kind of would have some performance degradation because we're doing, like, we're copying data over into the new columns. And then we, you know, and then we say, hey, it's done kind of thing. So occasionally we'll have to take a lock on a table or a lock on a row, and uh, they might notice it in terms of a big pause on a Tuesday afternoon while we're doing the upgrade or something like that. So, um, but most of the time, you know, we, 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 
we roll out by the one the accounts that aren't being used and even people who are actively using an account it's not it's not like you're using you're doing database writes every single second you, yeah you, you quite often you're quite often using it but you're actually you've done a query and now you're looking at stuff locally while you uh, go do it or, or you go to bed and that's the great thing about having a 24-hour service in a in a in a in a world that revolves around you know that, that keeps revolving yeah. because you just want to go to sleep and then they their database gets upgraded well actually that, it's an interesting thing to to point out there is that so often it's a amazing to log into a, a corporate TFS server and see how little the process is utilized, the processors are utilized. Because if oh, you I think see. about the pattern of software development, you don't talk to TFS all that often. Um, and if you do, yep. it's for just like one quick hit to check something out or whatever. Yeah. If we're doing it right, you don't, you know, you, <laughs> and that's, that's why TFS scales to ridiculous numbers of users because yeah, is the number of concurrent users is actually amazingly low based on the number of users you have in your user population. It's a startlingly low figure. So are you running into, I, I know that we're sort of running out of time, but yeah, with yeah, the server workspace versus local workspace, did you, are you finding that that's causing performance degradations or scalability problems? No, not at all. Because actually the way it works in terms of uh, protocol talking to the server mm-hmm. is not that much different, believe it or not. It, it, it doesn't, a local workspace doesn't do that many fewer calls at check-in time. You know, it doesn't do that many fewer calls while you're working. And the call it does to talk to the server to say which files have changed is actually very efficient as well. Because what it does is um, in a local workspace, it um, it downloads like the files. When, it, when you download the files to your local workspace, it keeps a copy of those in that dot. Um, dot uh, tfs folder dollar tfs yep. folder and a ha- and a hash yeah. so it can very quickly tell which files in your local workspace are different from the files you last downloaded and so it the thing that slows local workspaces down is to figure this out it has to do a query of every single file in the workspace and says which files are different and if you have um, and, and calculate a hash of all those files and if you have a um, you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of files and you have a slow disk or slow I.O. to your disk, you know, you've got like a 5400 spinning rush drive <laughs> in your laptop, then that can take a long time and you notice that. But it's a linear performance degradation because, you know, it's uh, um, the more files you have, it doesn't it doesn't exponentially increase. The more files you have, the, the slower it takes to be able to do that query. Um, and then once it does that query, it then sends a very small list up to the server that says, hey, Mr. Server, four files have changed. Uh, here they are. And then the server goes, oh, sorry, mate. Uh, one of those files has already been edited by somebody else. You need to go do some merge stuff or go f- resolve this before you can actually check that in. So it doesn't, no, local workspaces, so workspaces doesn't really, uh, doesn't really impact the server performance that much. Yeah, it's just sending it, around a bunch of checksums, right? Or yeah, ashes. yep. yep. Yeah, and then the files when it sends them around, it's really neat. This is like totally inside baseball. But here you go. It's probably interesting to people. The um, when it sends around files, it sends around like uh, it sends around the zipped copy of the files. Um, really? And well, it sends around the zipped copy of the files. If the zipped copy of the file is smaller than the unzipped copy of the file, sometimes it's not, and so um, it. it you know, or if it's a really big file, it won't bother zipping it first, and it will just send the really big file because it would cost too much to zip it because it's probably not gonna. If it's a really big file, it's probably a binary file. It's probably not going to compress very much anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it, it sends around zip files, and then the interesting thing is when you do a get, you get zip files back. And so what TFS does is a little performance trick. 
it just caches the zip you sent. And so um, if you do a, a, a you know, awesome. you send something and then you do a get, you get exactly the same zip you somebody else uploaded. It's the exact same zip. You just get it from straight from the cache. It doesn't have to rezip it and send it back down. It just sent. It just streams that zip back Basically down. Basically, cloud sources um, zip out to everyone else's computer. Yeah. Exactly. It's just that easy. And then the um, the only time it ever has to rebuild that zip is occasionally it'll destroy the cache, you know, and the cache gets full. And when it stores stuff inside the tables of version control, the the stuff's actually stored as deltas between the previous versions. Um, and so it occasionally, if you're doing, um, you know, it, it'll actually have to rebuild a file from its deltas and then zip it and then send it to you. And that's like one of the slowest things to do. And that's why doing an upgrade, a migration, where you query the files all the way from change set zero, change set one to like change set now, doing that can actually be doubly performant hitting on the server because it's happened to rebuild all these old files from deltas and then zip them back up again, whereas getting the latest all the time is incredibly efficient. So well, anyway, there you go. That is cool. Little, little inside tip of the day. But yeah. So so uh, yeah, sorry, we were definitely time to wrap up. Yeah, we're definitely up wrapping time. up. Where can people see you, Ben? Do you have any events coming up or um I'm tentatively speaking at VS Live in Orlando uh later on this fall. Um and then other than that Actually, I, my schedule is is feeling pretty light as far as uh, public appearances. Um, well, people, yeah, it's the people are amazed at how much the Microsoft Financial Year affects conference booking gigs. <laughs> it's like July and August is brilliant because I, I, when I started July, I didn't have anything for the rest of the year. It was great. And now I've got like three or four things, but yeah, at the start of July, I didn't have anything. Well, it's also kind of funny. Is it? I mean, the same thing happens booking consulting gigs. Is uh, it's been huh. really quiet for the last couple months, which has been good because I've been working on uh, courses for Pluralsight. So I've got two Pluralsight courses up there right now, one on TFS and then one on uh, developer-based ALM, so Coded UI and testing, all that stuff. I'm doing one on load testing right now. So the fact that I've had a little bit of downtime is great because I can focus on this very overdue course. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm starting to get pings for work for this fall. And I don't know, it looks like it's going to be a busy year um, after this summer. Cool. And they can see some of the sessions that, that you did at uh, TechEd on uh, Channel 9, right? Your sessions yeah. are recorded and they're available. And if they go to www.bende.com slash blog, I uh, generally list all those things. I actually have to go back through um, for the TechEd talks I did in, in New Orleans and uh, add the Channel 9 links. But, yeah, I am very Googleable and Bingable. <laughs> Uh-huh. And if anybody hasn't seen that Scrum Under Waterfall session, it always scores very highly. It's worth watching. You, you did very well with that one at, at New Orleans. I was, so, yeah, uh, I, it was such a race for a long time on the avals, but uh, I was happy with what I eventually scored, but uh, I fell in the rankings over time and I've beaten out by uh, by uh, Mark Rasinovich eventually. Uh, couldn't, couldn't oh, be beaten that, by a better oh, guy. <laughs> yeah, if you've got to lose exactly. to somebody, well then, you know. Yeah, it might as well be somebody insanely famous. <laughs> <laughs> and annoyingly talented. Have you read his fiction oh, books? They're amazing. It just makes me ill. Like that guy yeah. doesn't anyway, sleep. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've enjoyed this show. Thanks for coming on the show, Ben. It's much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. And if any uh, listeners have got any um, questions or feedback or other suggestions of who we who you also want to hear coming on the show, then do email us at radiotfs at outlook dot com. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail, that's four two five two three three. 8379. Well, again, thank you very much for your time, and we'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS. Mm-hmm.